Good morning. Well, there had been a uh, rural area of the country, very small country church, made up of mainly of farmers, and uh, there had been a severe drought, and they deeply were concerned that the crops would be ruined. Of course, most of the tithes came into church from the farmers. So one Sunday, the pastor said, brothers and sisters in Christ, I understand we have this deep concern for a harvest. There's really nothing we can do about it except we can pray for rain. And the Lord promises that if we pray in faith, he'll hear, he'll hear us. So I want you to go to your homes now all week long. I want you to fast and pray the next Sunday when you show up. We're going to hold a service. We're going to claim the Lord's promise because I know that next week at this time, if we pray and fast, it will rain. So the people went home, and they, they prayed and fasted during the week, and they returned that next Sunday. And as soon as the pastor saw the people filing into the church and sitting into the pews, he looked at them and he said, go back home. And they said, what in the world? What, why would you tell us that? He said, how can you expect to claim the Lord's promise if you have no faith? And they were kind of offended. They said, but, but pastor, we, we do. We fasted. We prayed, and we've come here today in faith, believing that it will rain today, that God will be true to his word. And the pastor said, believing, right? Well, where are your umbrellas? <laughs> I know, it's bad. You have your umbrellas today as we waded across town and into church. Glad you're here today. That's the last joke you'll have in this sermon today as we look at a, a deeply, for a lot of reasons, but mainly because we're looking at the, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus today. And I'm going to be reading in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21. We're, we're preaching more, but I'm going to read today before a prayer, starting in verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Father in heaven, we look at this passage today. That is a difficult one for us to look at. How you bled and died for us. We sang about it this morning. We're going to hear it from your word today, Father. 
So, Lord, I pray that, that my words today as I read your word reflect your heart for us, to what you want us to hear today from your word, Lord, that you fill me with your spirit, and that we can have the proper emotional, logical response today from hearing this. The conviction of sin we need, the, the commitment to follow you wholeheartedly for your death, because we know, Lord, that your death was followed by your resurrection. We knew that Friday came, but then Sunday came. And we rejoice in that truth. But today, Lord, as we look at this passage, that you be with us and that your, your body of believers today receive your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, this passage gives us five truths. Five truths we see about Jesus when he died. Five truths that we see about Jesus when he died. Uh, first, Jesus died innocent. Jesus died innocent. He had just been arrested. He had been betrayed by his disciples. They, they all left him. He was being held, waiting his fate. Verse 1 says, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, and they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Now, the Jews did not have the authority to find Jesus innocent or guilty. They could bring a charge against him, which they did, because they were under the authority of the Roman Empire. So they took him to a man who did have the authority, a man named Pontius Pilate, verse 2. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. Now, why did Jesus answer this way? Why didn't he just say yes? Or why didn't he say, well, yes, but let me explain what I mean by that, right? Why did he just say, you've said so? Well, several reasons. First, Jesus had openly declared this already. Pilate, though, had no idea about what a coming Messiah of the Jewish nation was supposed to be. And from other accounts, Pilate likely did not believe that Jesus really was a threat to the peace of Rome by calling himself a king. So Jesus doesn't defend himself for at least two reasons. First, it wouldn't make a difference. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you defend yourself, it just doesn't make a difference. And it would have made a difference. But secondly, if he did, and Pilate realized that the Jews had brought a false accusation that Jesus was not attempting to take over the Roman Empire, then Pilate then could crucify the accusers. He could crucify the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, and then we'd have a problem. Jesus would put more people to their death that shouldn't have gone. Jesus' love for his enemies, amen, who were killing him, had him answer the way that he did. You know, when we love people, sometimes we just don't say the, not that we don't say the truth, but sometimes we just don't say what maybe we want to say, amen? We can say things a little differently. He said, you've said it. He didn't say yes. No, I, I'm falsely accused. You said it. Jesus didn't want to see the people who were going to kill him die under the hands of the Roman Empire. So he says it in a way that only Jesus can say. Verse 3. 
And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Jesus died innocent. As we know, he did no wrong. But even in this fake trial, he still did not defend himself. There was no reason, and he would have caused even more bloodshed than necessary. Jesus died innocent. It looks like he didn't even put up a fight, which we know why he did not. He had to go to the cross. You know, as followers of Jesus, uh, we need not to worry about accusations from the world raised against us. The Bible tells us, uh, Jesus says in John, that they hated me. They're going to hate you. They're going to accuse you of all kinds of things because a servant is not above their master. So when we see something like this happening in our own lives as Christians, as little Christs, we sometimes need to be not so quick to defend ourselves because it doesn't matter, amen? Let God fight your battles. The innocent do not need a defense. You choosing not to defend yourself in those times shows that your validation isn't in your own reputation. It isn't in what people think about you. Your validation is in Jesus Christ and the blood that he bought for you on the cross. Jesus died innocent. Secondly, Jesus died sinless. Sinless. Now, there's a difference between innocence and sinless. Sinlessness. You can be innocent and still be a sinner. We know that. But Jesus was both. Verse 6. Now, at the feast, he, being Pilate, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. This guy's a murderer. Verse 8. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And release a prisoner. And he answered them saying, okay, well, this makes great sense. I, uh, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Because Pilate knew he had done nothing wrong. Maybe Pilate will get out of it this way. Verse, verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. Verse 11, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of Jews? What do you want me to do with him? If, you, if I'm not going to release him, what do you want me to do with him? Verse 13, And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said, Why? What evil? He's not a murderer. He's not a thief. What evil has he done? And they gave no answer. They just continued to shout, crucify him. Verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, because it was one thing the Romans feared was mobs, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged, that's whipped Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate tried to give the people a way out. But because the crowd could have easily become a mob, and again, one of the main goals of the Roman Empire was to keep the peace, he gave the crowd 
what they wanted. And we see this today in our own world, amen? Our world gives, gives the mob what they want. They give the crowd what they want. That's why our country's morals cha are changing. That's why our values are changing. That's why legislation changes because the world fears the mob. It favors the crowd. Now, interesting thing, interesting thing about the word mob, the word mob in Greek is the same word that's used for congregation. <laughs> we are a mob. Did you know that? But this mob acts much differently than worldly mobs. We fight with God's word. We fight on our knees in prayer. And we have a heavenly father who fights for us. We need the world to listen to our mob, amen? Now, God's ultimately in charge of all of this. But the world will listen to the mob. I want to point out something here about this man, Barabbas. The name Barabbas means son of God. Isn't that ironic? There were two sons of God they could have chosen. Jesus, Barabbas, he was a real person, a real criminal who really was released. But I think Barabbas here represents all people, all mankind. He, Jesus died and took our place for our sins. He was the innocent one. He was the sinless one. Yet we are like Barabbas in that we are the guilty ones, but we get released because of what Christ has done on the cross. Martin Luther, the reformer, calls this the great exchange. Jesus Christ died as sinless, and sinners who deserve the cross, we got all free. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what makes the good news so incredibly amazing that the only sinless person in the world took on the sin of the sinners. Jesus died sinless so that we may be seen as sinless in God's sight. Amen? Jesus died sinless. Three. Jesus died humiliated. Jesus died humiliated. Remember the first time you were ever humiliated? I remember in first grade, lining up. This is not meant to be funny. I'm just telling you, I'm lining up, recess, right? This kid behind me pulled my pants down. I mean, you can laugh, whatever. Right? I was humiliated, right? A little six-year-old kid on the playground, it's pretty embarrassing, right? You may remember the first time you were humiliated, or a time in your life where you were humiliated, Jesus has been there too, and much worse. Look at verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They're making him look like a king, right? Verse 18. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, spitting on him. And they kneeled down in homage to him. 
And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and then put his own clothes back on him and they led him out to crucify him. He was humiliated. He was bullied. He was mocked. He was stripped of his dignity. And we see in this section how evil people can actually get. How evil mankind can truly be. Yet Jesus still died for the evilness of people. Verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross, because he couldn't carry at this point. He was too weak. We know from other accounts. Verse 22. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Other accounts say that Jesus was, was thirsty as he hung on the cross. He wanted water. He asked for water. And they gave him wine mixed with myrrh, which would not have quenched his thirst. It was another way to humiliate him, to make his misery worse. So even as he was dying and thirsty, we see the humiliation of Jesus. Verse 24. And they crucified him. Oh, there's no description of this. Just they crucified him. And divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. Now, Mark didn't have to go into great detail here about what it meant to be crucified to his audience because people knew what that meant. It would be like saying, and they electrocuted him. We, we know what happens in an electric chair. You don't have to describe it. These people would know. They knew what it was. They knew that his feet were nailed together. They knew that his hands were spread out and nailed on the cross. They knew that he hung on the cross, gasping for air. They knew exactly what it would have looked like because they had seen it before throughout the Roman Empire. They knew what it looked like. So all Mark says was, and they crucified him. So the readers would say, oh, wow. Verse 27. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, and one on his left. He was further humiliated as he was placed between two common thieves. Verse 29. And those who, who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Is that what you promised? Is that is what he had said? Verse 30. Then save yourself. Come off the cross. If you're the Christ. Now, Jesus had claimed that he would rebuild the temple in three days, but he was speaking in a metaphor, not literally. He's referring to his resurrection. He, is, he, he was the temple. And he could have saved himself, and he could have come down, but then we'd all be headed to hell. His love for mankind kept him there. Verse 31. So all the chief priests with the scribes, they mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross. Come down. Then we'll believe you. Then we'll see and believe. You can save yourself. If you really are who you said you are, then we will believe. Which they were just saying that. And then those who were crucified with him on his right and his left reviled him. The robbers reviled him. He died humiliated. 
even though he had the power to stop it, and though we won't get humiliated the way Jesus was, as Christians, there will be times of humiliation for the cause of Christ. And there will be times where we can stop the humiliation. We can denounce our faith. We can tuck our tail and run away. Or we can model ourselves after Jesus. And when the humiliation comes, that we suffer through it. Because of what he's done for us. He gives us the power to do so through the Holy Spirit. Jesus died, humiliated. And number four, the saddest part of this whole section, he dies abandoned. He died abandoned. Verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. From noon until 3 p.m., when the sun is highest in the sky, it was eclipsed. It was dark. Now, secular historians have, they've, they've, they have ratified this. They said, yes, there was at least a solar eclipse that at that time, when they think around that time, they date it to 29 A.D. or whatever, that was at least an hour and 59 minutes long. So there's a historical reference to it outside of the Bible. They realized that this happened. And God had planned that eclipse for that moment. Amen? Amen. Unbelievable. Now, the people didn't know what in the world was happening. It wasn't like us where we have, uh, we understand the way the planets and the suns move. And most of us here, if you were here a few years ago, have experienced an eclipse. And you remember what that was like? Even though it was a little cloudy, for a couple minutes it got really dark in the middle of the day. Y'all remember that? And people had eclipse parties and eclipse viewings and all this kind of things. But we knew it was going to happen. And remember how dark it got? Just all of a sudden it was nighttime. Not quite night, but it was close enough where it was weird. Right? And then it was gone. Imagine seeing Jesus hang on the cross for three hours and darkness rolls in. What an incredibly spooky, frightful scene. It's at that point where I believe people started believing. Wouldn't you? They didn't know what eclipses were. They just knew it got dark in the middle of the day. Very frightening. Verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemus sepsitani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting scripture. Verse 35. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it for him to drink, saying, Let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And then a curious thing happened in verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him, can you imagine the centurion stood standing there guarding that cross, stood facing Jesus and seeing everything that transpired so in, the, in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. How could you not? 
standing right there at the cross. Amen. The curtain of the temple tore in two, symbolizing that mankind has now complete access to God. God who had resided behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. Jesus' death has brought access to us. We do not need a sacrifice anymore to bring us access to God. We don't need priests to give us access to God. Because of Jesus' death, we have complete unfettered access to God at all times. We can come to him at any point, at any time, and ask him for help in any way. And he hears us, amen? And we forget about it. And we complain, and we think, we wake up in the morning and we say, well, it's raining today. Like, that means anything. It's cold. What? What are we talking about? We have access to God who died on the cross for us. We could come to him at any point. And at that point, almost, almost everyone had abandoned Jesus at his lowest point, at the point where he needed people the most. He had been abandoned. He even felt abandoned by his heavenly Father. He died abandoned. And number five, Jesus died, however, loved. He died loved. At this point, the story takes a turn. Things start looking up for Jesus after he has done the deed. He's buried, and of course we know that he's resurrected, which we can't get in today. That'll be in your Bible reading tomorrow or the next couple of days. Verse 40. You know, women didn't leave Jesus. I'm not surprised. Look at verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. There were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also looking for himself for the kingdom of God, he took courage and went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus, which would have been a very, uh, you know, who knows what Pilate would say to this, right? Verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, this is when they you know, made sure he was dead. The other accounts talk about that. He granted the corpse to Joseph, and Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. Why don't you think about that? Yesterday, a few days ago, my dog was barking out in the grass. Walked out there, and there was a dead squirrel just sitting out there. I don't know how it died. Dead. So my wife's like, you're going to move that squirrel, aren't you? I'm like, really? i got to go out there and move that squirrel? So I went out there with my shovel, picked it up, and it's all, you know, petrified and rolling off the shovel and everything. I don't like messing with dead things, right? Picked it up, threw it in my neighbor's yard. I'm joking. <laughs> I removed it, put it in the woods, right? But it was bothersome to have to do that to a squirrel. This man, Joseph, is wrapping the dead body 
of the Son of God. What an amazing privilege. Wrapping up the body of the man who died for your sins. Can't imagine. Gives him his own tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. That would have been extremely disrespectful for there to be no place to bury Jesus. And in love, Joseph gave him his own tomb. And the women who stayed with him, the women that he elevated, that he loved, that he gave a place to in society that wanted to keep them down, that the, the women that he loved as sisters of his, stayed with him throughout. Amen. Never left his side. And they loved him when no one would love him. And they loved him because he loved them. Amen. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he went through this for you. And it wasn't just the humiliation. It wasn't just the pain. It was bearing the wrath of God for our sins on his shoulders. All of that adds up to the love that Jesus had when he died for you. And we know that a few days later that he rose from the grave. He resurrected. He raised that temple in three days like he said he would. And he walked around for over a month. People touched the side. He ate fish. He cooked fish. Did all these things. And people still didn't believe in him. But many people did. And in 2023, we're still believing in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. And we look forward to the day where he comes back. Not humiliated, but victorious to take his people home. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. We look forward to that day. It can happen at any point, according to your word, when you would come back, Lord, to, to take your people to your kingdom. But, Lord, we know that there are still people who have never heard your gospel, people who have heard it and haven't responded in the right way, they have not received your gospel, that today, Lord, that they would see the imminence of your return and the, and the reason that they, they need to receive you, that they've not placed their faith in you, Father, that today they would. You would forgive them of their sins. And they would place their faith in you today. Lord, as we close our time together today, let us sing this closing hymn, thinking about what you've done for us on the cross and how we have this eternal life and we have this abundant life and how we have access to you at all times. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.